You're listening to the Quince podcast. Extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures and the United States government backing a waiver on COVID vaccine patents is just one of those crucial decisions that was much needed in this pandemic. As it is, low and middle income countries like India are facing a vaccine shortage without having vaccinated even 10% of the population, which makes it so utterly important to ramp up vaccine productions across the world. The proposal was first floated by a group of LMIC countries led by India and South Africa at the World Trade Organization in October 2020 and they had argued that such a move could speed up vaccine production which in turn could accelerate inoculation drives. And in this they have the support of several advocacy groups and even the World Health Organization as well who believe that a pandemic is not the time for vaccine monopolies and profits. Although the US and other wealthy countries had strongly opposed the move for so long to protect intellectual property rights, looking at the gravity of the pandemic, the Biden administration has now decided to support a temporary waiver. But hold on, while that's certainly a good start, there's still a longer way to go before we can actually see the results of this decision. The US giving the green signal is a big move, but now it'll have to negotiate at the World Trade Organization and secure a consensus from all 164 members including the UK, the EU countries, Canada, Japan, Brazil and all others who had blocked the waiver. So what kind of roadblocks are expected on the way? If the US does manage to clear the path, what happens next? What could a patent waiver entail for COVID vaccine manufacturers and why are pharma companies opposed to the move? And most importantly, what can a waiver mean for India? My guests for today's episode are Lena Menghane, a lawyer who's worked extensively on public health, Achal Prabhala, who also advocates for intellectual property reform and access to medicines, and Amitabh Bihar, the chief executive officer of Oxfam India. You're tuned in to the Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline making news for you, and I'm your host, Shalbury. Portentous decision from the US government comes at a time when covid cases and deaths are surging to such unprecedented levels in India that both hospitals and crematoriums are simultaneously running out of beds and space. Now historically US governments have been staunchly against waiving of IPR but Biden had in fact proposed such a waiver in his presidential campaign as well. And the fact that the US government has finally taken a concrete stand on the matter drew loud cheers from human rights groups and even the director general of the World Health Organization who called this move momentous. And already other countries are starting to follow the example set by the US starting with the European Union which has said that it's ready to discuss and consider a waiver as well. Now although it's only the first step in a series of steps Mr Amitabh Bihar the CEO of Oxfam India says that it could be a game changer. I think the point is that we will get out of the clutches of some of the big farmers which essentially means that a lot of other pharma companies which are competent and capable of making these vaccines will start producing them so what it really means is that we'll look at a almost mass production of the vaccines across the several pharma companies uh vaccine manufacturers and and that will ease out so for me it's difficult i'm not an expert on on vaccines to be able to say that in how many weeks how many months this would happen but it will clearly be a game changer 
and and that's very clear that at this moment as we know uh, it is still uh, the serum institute which is doing almost 80 to 90% of the vaccines in india and and uh, 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 we have covaxin uh, which is being done say 10 to 15% this will change you will have several other actors who will come in and start producing vaccines hopefully the government will also recognize that we should not continue with the the uh, odd vaccine policy that that we have unveiled in the last few weeks uh, we must go back to our universal immunization program where the central government is the procuring authority and they are able to then procure from multiple uh, uh manufacturers which just means that the shortage would be eased out and and everybody should be uh, given a free vaccine as in the, that's that's something we owe to humanity now although india and south africa had been pushing for a waiver on intellectual property rights and patents for not only covid vaccines but also covid related medicines and diagnostic technology The US government statement announces their stance only on vaccines IPR right now. And I just want to read out the statement made by US Trade Representative Catherine Tai. Quote: The administration believes strongly in intellectual property protections but in service of ending this pandemic supports the waiver of those protections for COVID-19 vaccines. The administration's aim is to get as many safe and effective vaccines to as many people as fast as possible. End quote. But why this move is so urgent is because poorer countries need wealthier countries to share their vaccines for equitable distribution right now. While most of 2020 was about waiting with bated breath for a COVID vaccine, when it actually came to action, wealthier countries moved ahead and stockpiled surplus doses running into billions, while LMIC countries like India, Brazil and African countries have been struggling to vaccinate their masses. So obviously to ensure there's enough supply to meet the demands for vaccine, there's a need to amplify the manufacturing process but while many pharmaceutical companies which have the capacity to mass produce vaccines can lend their hands on the deck they're unable to do so because they don't have the rights at least two reports claim that canadian and bangladeshi pharmaceuticals have tried to get in touch with johnson and johnson and moderna to offer their production lines but were told that they're not needed this at a time when there's a mad scramble for vaccines But there's another really important reason as well as to why the remaining countries should hurry up with their decision making. A report by Oxfam that was released earlier in March this year says that mutations of COVID-19 can stand to render the first generation COVID vaccines useless. This was found out in a survey of 77 epidemiologists from 28 countries carried out by the People's Vaccine Alliance. Two-third of those surveyed said that we could have a year or less before the virus mutates to the extent that the majority of first generation vaccines are rendered ineffective and new or modified vaccines are required of those surveyed almost a third gave a time frame of 9 months or less and fewer than 1 in 8 said that they believed that mutations would never render the current vaccines ineffective And Mr Bihar says that vaccine nationalism or profiteering is actually counterproductive right now as it risks not only the unvaccinated population but also the world at large. Every country needs to understand particularly the countries which are opposing the waiver they need to understand that anybody vulnerable in the world makes them vulnerable. So vaccine nationalism or or looking at profits through these vaccines is going to be counterproductive. A lot of experts are saying that it is a matter of time probably a year when the virus would 
mutate to a level yeah. where the current uh, first generation of vaccines would be ineffective. Yeah. And once they're ineffective, we'll live in a global community. You know, you cannot imagine that in the US, you say that you have vaccinated people with the first generation vaccine, and there's a mutation that's happened somewhere in Asia or, or in Europe, and it will not come back to US. So it's, it's going to be critical for people to understand that we would be safe only when we have vaccinated the entire globe. And, and, and there cannot be any other shortcuts uh, to that group. So <clears throat> that's, that's of, of critical importance. But then why would pharma companies want to oppose this move? Lena Minghane, a lawyer who's worked extensively on public health, says that for pharma companies, a monopoly means a greater control of the market and higher profits. Well, the, the multinational corporations, um, as you know, made a ton of money this year on COVID itself. Um, they've, they've laughed their way all the way to the bank, Pfizer and Moderna. Um, so for them, a monopoly means a greater control of the market, greater profitability or rather profiteering. And of course, you know, any pharmaceutical corporation uh, who's earning above, you know, $20 billion um, from pharmaceutical monopolies is unlikely to want to give them up. So, of course, the opposition can be anticipated and has to be withstood. Now, pharma companies who oppose the move say that it would threaten innovation. It would mean that those who worked for these vaccines would not get anything back. But this may not entirely be true, especially since the WHO chief had himself said that they would still get royalties. But what is also important to note is that a lot of public funding, a lot of taxpayers' money also went into quote-unquote innovating these vaccines. An article on Vion News reported that overall, $112 billion of public money went into vaccine research in the pandemic, while Pfizer earned $26 billion from vaccine sales in 2021. Moderna which in its 11 years of existence had never made a profit, also made $20 billion through vaccine sales this year. So do the pharma companies have anything to lose at all, especially if it's a lot of public money funding that went into vaccine research and innovation? Achal Prabhala, who advocates for intellectual property reform and access to medicines, explains the laws that have helped pharma companies to be able to use public funding without having any obligation back to the people. Yes, the pharmaceutical companies uh, have all the monopoly power over their vaccines, regardless of where the funding came from. And that's partly because of laws in the European Union, in the United Kingdom and in the United States, which really started off this process in the 1980s by not just allowing but encouraging uh, government funding to go into pharmaceutical treatments such as drugs or vaccines that would then be handed over to private pharmaceutical companies to put onto the market without any obligation back to the public taxpayer funding that it received. Uh, this is, as I said, not just allowed, but encouraged. So regardless of where the funds came from, uh, private pharmaceutical companies do have extensive monopoly power. In some cases, like with the Moderna vaccine, there are patents uh, that are actually owned by uh, parts of the U.S. government, like the National Institutes of Health, that make it slightly more difficult for Moderna to ignore what the U.S. government wants to do with those patents and therefore with its vaccine. But in general, uh, the way that also the contracts have been set up last year under the Trump administration to funnel this vaccine funding from American taxpayers to the vaccine manufacturers was such that they were done without any kind of conditions whatsoever. So truly, even for the United States, there weren't 
any significant access provisions. There were certainly none as far as the rest of the world was concerned. So, uh, yes, the government should logically, uh, especially of the United States, have extensive power over these um, vaccines that are being produced because they funded them. But the truth is that they don't have power in the normal course of things. Now, there are laws outside. There's something called government patent use. There is something called the Defense Production Act in the United States, which they can use to both now share, force these companies to share their technology as well as to use their intellectual property and distribute it more widely. But I, what I'm saying is, I guess, this is not baked in despite the public funding existing. But this proposal has faced a pushback from wealthy countries for almost seven months now. And in India, we can see the difference that every day is making in deteriorating the capabilities of the health infrastructure when strong and timely decisions are not being taken urgently. And the seven months that it has taken for the US to lead the way has certainly also been very costly for India, which is now over two crore cases and over two lakh COVID-related deaths. But had the waiver proposal been accepted last year, would we be seeing the kind of vaccine shortage that we're witnessing in India right now? Could more people have been vaccinated in a country by now? Mr. Bihar believes so. Oh, absolutely. It would have been very, very different. And the vaccine shortage in India is massive as we are all seeing now, particularly when we have opened it uh, to 18 and 45. But even before that, as we must get a sense of the numbers. We have been able to vaccinate only around 10% of our population with the first jab. And, and less than 2% uh, with the, both the jabs. And this is India, which is the pharmacy of the world. We produce most of the vaccine. Just go to Africa. The numbers are really low. So this would not have happened if we were actually producing vaccines without patents. There, there would have been mass production of vaccines. And hopefully by this time, we would have seen a significant population of the world vaccinated. So it is, it is, I would say, uh, you know, ethically, morally, completely unacceptable that we have continued look, looking at profit, super, super profits over saving life. So what kind of a difference can this decision make now? Mr. Prabhala and Ms. Minghani raised some crucial points here. Look, I think that unfortunately we had the power to take all the decisions we can today, even last year. And I think we did have to take some of those decisions. Um, you know, like I think both Lina and I mentioned, this is the first step out of at least two steps that are necessary to immediately create vaccine access, right? Um, the immediacy of manufacturing means that if, even if we put all the steps required into place right now, we will only have vaccines in about three or four months at least and more likely four or five months, right? That is the lead up that is required typically for new vaccine manufacturing. The problem is, of course, that we should have done all of this last year and we could have done all of this last year. There were some things that were not uh, entirely in our control. So the second step uh, after lifting uh, patent barriers is to share the technology. So you heard a lot of talk about vaccine recipes, whereas vaccine recipes really contain two ingredients. The one ingredient uh, requires... Uh, legal permission to make the vaccine to be distributed. The second ingredient is a guide to manufacturing the vaccine or the vaccine technology. Now, the, the, we are on the way to getting the first ingredient, but we need the second ingredient, and that is the technology behind vaccines such as J&J's vaccine or Moderna's, or honestly, even Novavax and AstraZeneca. 
And once we can have those, then we would have uh, the ability to immediately create greater quantities of that vaccine, which would still require a four to five month lead up. But given the nature of this pandemic, the way that it's continuing, the way that variants are developing, the way that it seems we might need revaccinations, or at least at the very least boosters and uh, other kinds of reformulations, uh, I do think that even if we act now to have a solution available to us in physical form in four or five months is much, much better than never having it available at all. Absolutely. So I think the couple of very important crucial points. I think once you have a single dose vaccine, which has the potential of reducing the burden on already creaking healthcare systems, uh, they are going to be the most sought after vaccine, uh, you know, ever, because every country would want a single dose vaccine. Um, and that is where the J&J single dose vaccine uh, is really very critical. So if we really want to uh, expand beyond biological E, we really need to take care of the intellectual property part of it. Of course, we can do it the easier way, the tech is shared, but we'll have to maybe perhaps do it the harder way, which is the tech is not shared and we go the longer route. But what I wanted to highlight is today we had a turning point in this crisis. You know, there's overwhelming deaths in India followed by other developing countries. So you need the vaccines, but you also need the therapeutics. Now, as MSF, we've been following the pipeline of therapeutics and almost every therapeutic, which, you know, uh, Indian companies can easily reverse engineer and produce in a matter of months, are under patent claims. So if we are to treat our way out of this, not just vaccinate our way out of this, then we're going to have to put some things in order and intellectual property is part of that putting in order system, you know. While the US giving the green light is a big deal, what are the next steps? What are the hurdles in the way? Ms. Menghane says that the next steps are negotiations, negotiations and more negotiations. Indeed. Uh, so if you look at it, I think uh, the US green light to negotiations obviously changes the politics around the waiver. And we've already seen some indication from the EU that they might be also joining the negotiations. So I think the first steps are the negotiations, getting people on the table to start discussing uh, what the provisions are, what the rules are. And that's starting to happen. And I mean, interestingly, South Africa has done such immense leadership on it. India has contributed to it. And last night, of course, you know, the USTR and the Biden administration added weight to it. On the negotiations itself, on what has been achieved, as well as what we should look forward to, is a huge pushback from the pharmaceutical industry. And they will want this restricted in many different ways. They will want it restricted, perhaps, not to include the data that is so important um, for early manufacturing and introduction of competitive products, not just patents. They will try and restrict the medical products in the negotiations. They will like to you know, restrict the length of the waiver and so on. So I think we have to be mentally prepared for one of the toughest rounds of negotiations. And I hope India is going to send in its best negotiators on the table. The wheels have been set in motion, but a big question is, when can India realistically see the results of this process? Currently, as we know, the country's vaccine stocks are drying up, even though the country is home to one of the leading vaccine manufacturers in the world. So what can India do now? Back to Mr. Prabhala here. Uh, the fact that this can become a reality is a fantastic thing. It's a, it's a moment of great global significance. For countries like India, however, we have had the power and the ability and the might to be able to take 
uh, action that is already legally permissible in our laws and in compliance with the World Trade Organization for some time now. What we can do, what we should do is to create a blanket lifting of pharmaceutical monopolies in this pandemic so that we can really supercharge the production of treatments, of uh, vaccines. The TRIPS waiver is an important first step, but it is not the uh, entire set of things that countries like the United States and the European Union need to do. Uh, there is still technology transfer that we need uh, on some of these vaccine technologies, especially things like the J&J vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, but also for things like Novavax and AstraZeneca that are uh, already being produced here. We can do more of them. We can produce more of them if there were those restrictions were eased. And there's great flexibility that awaits the Indian government um, in terms of the kinds of legal actions it can take. And there is also a lot that we can do locally to expand manufacturing, especially of vaccines. But that does require a few more steps to be taken by the US and the EU. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to the Big Story playlist for episodic updates. We'll have on Apple, Google Podcast, Spotify, GeoSavan, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quinn website and check out the podcast section. For any feedback, shoot an email to podcasts at thequinn.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quint's website and check out our other podcasts.